Dear God, open our eyes to see what you have for us in your word. Open our ears to hear what needs to be said and what we can listen, how we listen to you. And open our hearts that we might be receptive to what we see and hear. And bring into our lives what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in my home meant fresh bread every single week. Every Sunday afternoon, my mom, who was a bit of a baker, would bake fresh bread for the family. She was old school in Iowa and Swedish, and I guess combining all of that, she felt like, well, why should I buy bread when I can just bake it myself? And so every single week, Swedish rye bread, Egg bread, wheat bread, rolls, various rolls, cinnamon rolls. The house was just filled with this aroma. And I thought I was normal until comparing notes one day in, I don't know, middle school or something. Wait, you guys buy bread from the store? (laughs) People do that? Wow. More bread is better. Uh, You may have been led to believe by me that my vice is the chocolate chip cookie. No. Really, the thing that I can't say no to is bread. Fresh bread, more bread is always better. Contrary to what the Bible says, I think I could live on bread alone. (laughs) Now, for those of you who think I'm just a bit out of balance, okay, quick quiz. This actually relates. Where was Jesus born? Name the city. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Yeah, there we go. Son of God, got to go with that. Bread and water every day sounds like a good thing. I know in some circles it sounds like punishment or poverty. My favorite fruit is bed, bread. My favorite beverage is water. Bread and water every day? <laughs> Sign me up. You know, I want to be there. Well, realistically, okay, in order to live a healthy life, you do need more than bread. Boy, I got stuck on that. I have to say no to my desire for bread alone, and I need to consume real food. How this all relates to our time together today in the Word of God, John chapter 6, is simply this. We've reached a point in Jesus' life where he teaches that he is the bread of life. There are other breads and other options. You can get by without Jesus for a lifetime. Many people do. Or at least they try. But without Jesus, you would not be receiving the spiritual nourishment that you need in order to live the life that God has for you. In order to receive what God has for you, you will have to say no to yourself and to all other options and to say yes to Jesus. And in order to properly say no to to Jesus, you just plain simply have to say no to yourself. Seven times in the Gospel of John, uh, two things occur. Seven times Jesus said, I am something. And seven times in the Gospel of John, there was some type of a miraculous sign that John recorded. And John even tells us at the end of his Gospel, he could have recorded a bunch more signs, but he chose seven to record that speak clearly of the deity of Jesus Christ. 
There's only a couple occasions, though, in the Gospel of John where the statement, I am something, or you could say the claim, is attached to an event, a miraculous event. And we have one of those uh, occasions this morning in John chapter 6. So the event is the miraculous feeding of the multitude. The statement or the claim is, I am the bread of life. And I intend to help you uh, um, look at that with some detail and some depth this morning. In fact, my aim this morning is to show you from the Gospel of John that only Jesus can satisfy you. And the way this comes out is with two realities in John chapter 6. Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger of every human heart. And only Jesus can satisfy the need of every human soul. I'll come back to that twice more before we're done this morning. And to explain what I see in John chapter 6, I want to cover two sections. The first section will be the event, the feeding of the multitude. And the second section will be the statement or the claim, I am the bread of life. Jesus feeds earthly food to people so that he can demonstrate that he is able to give eternal food to people. And so as we travel through John chapter 6, what you're going to see is a journey from the lesser to the greater. Jesus is using an earthly example to speak of an eternal reality. Yes, he can create bread, and you can eat this bread literally and have your stomach filled, but oh, how much better to look to Jesus for eternal food and have your eternal well-being taken care of. So in the event, we encounter, well, I should say this. In John chapter 6, we encounter three types of people, three categories one category we actually don't see in the event that comes up in the conversation. But three types of people. You have the religious leaders who hate Jesus and want to kill him. And we've seen that uh, back in John chapter 5, verse 18. If you have a Bible open, you can just glance across the page here. Chapter 5, verse 18. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their minds, not in reality, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So the religious leaders hate Jesus and they want to kill him. The disciples love Jesus and they want to follow him. We've seen that as early as John chapter 1 where Jesus spent some time uh, selecting his disciples who would become his apostles. And then you also have the crowds who like Jesus and want him to serve them. Religious leaders hate Jesus, want to kill him. Disciples love Jesus, want to follow him. Crowds like Jesus, want him to serve them. Three very different categories of people. Well, the disciples are tested by Jesus. You may have noticed that in the reading that occurred a few moments ago. They are tested to Jesus to meet the food, or the need for food of the crowd, and they cannot. Nowhere near it. All the disciples can do is to believe Jesus and trust him that Jesus will supply what the crowd needs, what people needs. Here's something, though, that's easy to miss. At the beginning of the chapter, we have crowds. You notice in verse 2, there's a great crowd, and then later on in the middle of chapter 16 through, uh, uh, well, really it's 24, the crowds are there again. So at the beginning of the chapter, there's a crowd. In the middle of the chapter, there's a crowd. But then when this chapter ends, Jesus is in the synagogue. Well, how did that happen? We're not really told. We're just given this. We're, uh, John gives the, this to us as one piece, really. 
we have the event and we have the claim and, and Jesus is teaching and he's making some claims and then suddenly we find out he's in the synagogue. We never know when he left the crowd. That doesn't mean John forgot or that he miswrote. It means that John 6 is a summary. There's a lot of things going on with the crowds and there were some very important things going on in the synagogue. And John wants us to know about both. It doesn't matter when he went from one to the other. It's important for you to realize that what we're looking at in John chapter 6 is the summary. This could have been two weeks, a couple of weeks where Jesus is in the presence of a crowd and doing some things and then he's in the presence of a synagogue and saying some things. Well, the presence of the crowd is very important and so glad that it just comes out abundantly clear in John chapter 6. Um, presence of the crowd tells us that Jesus did some, if not most, of his work in plain view of a whole lot of people. It's not like he's in the corner of Israel operating in a, a village of 200 people and the rumors just get out about who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. Jesus creates bread where bread did not exist before. This is creative power. This is the power of God. And Jesus does this in full view of thousands. We're told in, I think it was verse 10, that the, the number of men uh, were uh, 5,000. You, you might have this as a chapter title in your Bible where it says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Or you might even know that this is a story of Jesus feeds the 5,000, really is a whole lot more there than 5,000. In verse 10, where if, if the men are counted, and that's how they counted in those days, if the men are counted up to 5,000, think in terms of wives and children who are with them. In all likelihood, this is part of the pilgrimage to uh, Jerusalem, to get to Jerusalem. We're told that the, uh, Jew, in verse 4, the Jewish Passover feast is near. So these are not just people who are smattered around the, the area of Galilee. These are families coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover at the temple. They want to be in the city when this happens, and they're hearing things about Jesus, and so they're distracted. They come to him. These are family, way Way more than 5,000. Some estimate 15 to 20,000 people. And Jesus miraculously feeds them. Again, he's putting his deity on display in front of a whole host of people. And he does some teaching even with them, even with the crowd. Why does Jesus do it this way? Why not be more secretive or only in the synagogue? The presence of the crowds tell us that Jesus is not ashamed or reluctant to reveal who he is and what he can do. But also this, if you think about it, the presence of the crowds will keep the gospel writers in check. There's no way with this many people knowing exactly what happened and what was said that they could embellish or exaggerate or twist things to make themselves look better or maybe even try to look, make Jesus look better. You know what? Jesus said this hard thing. Let's soften the blow. <laughs> Thousands of people already heard this. You got to write it the way it was. Okay, so when Jesus said these things, and he's saying things that only Jesus can say, and when Jesus did these things, and he's doing things that only God can do, and he's doing them 
in front of multitudes of people. What Jesus is going after is clarity. Jesus wants to clearly reveal who he is and what it is that he has come to do. This push toward clarity means that Jesus was not crucified because he was misunderstood. Jesus was crucified because he was understood. If you follow through the Gospels correctly, you know that Jesus was accused of blasphemy. That's why they wanted to kill him. Oh, he was understood. No doubt about it. Jesus was clear, the communication was clear, and the crowd accurately heard exactly what Jesus did and said. Okay, so to understand the big event of miraculous creation, this crowd goes looking for Jesus. Let's, let's uh, pick, it up, pick up the story of verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. That might be a compliment. Um, it doesn't go far enough. Islam has in their religious uh, belief system that Jesus is a prophet. You know, that might sound, again, like a compliment, but he's a prophet subservient to, Mo, uh, to Muhammad. It's not a compliment at all. But in this case, they're trying to figure this out. Okay, miraculous bread, maybe he's a prophet, verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain. Nobody makes Jesus king by force. He serves nobody. Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. He has come, and he will only die on his time. Uh, let's jump down to verse 17. Let's see what happens with this crowd. Actually, let me, let, I'll just keep reading verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. And then we have the walking on the, on the water. Now let's jump down to verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Okay, so there's two terms that sound very favorable, prophet and rabbi. And lest you think that these are followers of Jesus, I want you to understand they are fans of Jesus. We need to look at the commentary that Jesus gives to the crowd about themselves. Verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Wow. So according to Jesus, the crowd is not interested in who Jesus is. They are interested in what Jesus can do. Big difference. They want the blessing of God's provision more then they want the blessing of God's son. Now I'm going to pause for a point of application because we all struggle with this today. These people are self-oriented. All things center around themselves and their world and their desires. We struggle with that. Couple of checks if you want to examine how you're doing with self-orientation. Listen to your conversations sometime. Who or what are you talking about? Very easy to have the bulk of a conversation where someone actually listens that we're talking about ourselves. 
Very easy to take whatever topic of conversation there is and bring it back to ourselves and our kids, our grandkids, our experiences and what we recently did. Here's another check. This is a, a little yellow book we've handed out to a lot of women, women and men here at various ministries. Bible study for men, I gave a bunch of these out, or uh, I think we had a men's breakfast, and there was something for the ladies recently, some uh, kickoff, and I know we were giving out a bunch of these. Um, open, it's called Before You Open Your Bible. So this is a person who's helping us to not just rush into Bible reading and, and not deal with this tendency to orient all things to ourselves. So he's saying you need to check your heart as you enter this, the, the, your time of reading Scripture and taking that in, that you don't hear it in the wrong way, for instance, thinking in terms of, well, what does the Bible say about me? So he says, just, just reading a quote, most mornings, for example, my mind, and this is a guy who's a professional holy man, my mind immediately goes to one of three places. What do I have planned for today? What am I going to eat for breakfast? What's happening on social media? And then he goes on to say, these questions are not terrible, but they are telling. They expose the natural bent of my heart. They reveal that while it's effortless to be mindful of self, I have to work to be mindful of God. These people saw an incredible display of the miraculous, God power in their midst. And they want to know, Jesus, where's the next lunch? Stopping way too short. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking of yourself uh, less but thinking of yourself less often. So I'm suggesting to you that the people in the crowd are fans of Jesus, and it looks like the thinking goes like this. Jesus makes food. We want food. Jesus, you are great because you make food. Not very deep. Okay, so Jesus moves the conversation into spiritual depth, and that takes us to verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked, what must we do to do the works God requires? Best question ever. What must we do to do the works God requires? You can be asking that. You perhaps should be asking that if you're 8 or you're 80, if you're male or you're female, if you're professional or not, if you're educated or not. Doesn't matter. Ask that great question. What must we do to do the works God requires? Very clear, very direct, concise, simple, all of that. And Jesus matches all of that with his answer. Verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. Boy, there's just nothing unclear about that. To believe in the one he has sent. Very simple, very direct, very clear, easy to understand. I'll point out a couple things here. You notice the word sent is in there. Believe in the one he has sent. So believe as an object. Ah, believe in the one that God has sent. So Jesus wasn't just born and showed up on the scene. Jesus was in the plans of God 
before he was born. He was sent here to be someone that we believe in for eternal life. The work of God is this, to believe. And to believe means more than in, uh, some kind of a mental agreement. It means to trust, to place your trust into the person. Believe in the one, not believe in the group or believe in the committee or believe in the several options. Choose your option. Nothing like that is, uh, is given to us at all. Believe in the one he has sent. Is there any room in that short, simple, strong statement from Jesus, believe in the one he has sent? Is there any room in there for believe anything you want as long as you're sincere? See how that doesn't match? That doesn't come from Scripture. There's also no room in here for believe in God but reject Jesus. And that's what Islam and Judaism and others do. Believe in God, there's a God out there somewhere, and we're going to align ourselves with that God. We don't want Jesus. Can't do that. Believe in the one that God has sent. And we've looked at this before, Luke chapter 10, verse 16. If you reject Jesus, you reject the God who sent Jesus. Jesus has sent. Okay, well, now they, they, they're kind of getting it. They're understanding that Jesus has put all of this on himself. And so they ask another question, verse 30. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And I guess this is an example. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them, or God gave them, bread from heaven to eat. So here, I just want to focus on the first part of their, their, this uh, passage I read. Here's the question. What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe? Worst question ever. Best question ever. What do we do? What are the works that God wants us to do? Worst question ever. Give us a sign so we can believe you. Wait a minute. These are the people who are they're part of the crowd. Jesus just fed, I don't know, 15, 20,000. He created bread where bread did not exist before. People ate it. It was real bread. It filled them. They were full. They were no longer hungry. They were satisfied. God met their need. And now they're asking for a sign? Terrible question. Verse 14 tells us, uh, after the people saw the miraculous sign, John, just writing this down, understands this is a sign from God that Jesus is deity. And now they're asking to, for Jesus, prove it. Prove it that you, that you are the one sent by God. What? How does this work? After the event, there's this conversation. And it... it um, Jesus launches into a conversation that um, has a foundation of manna. So the crowd brought it up. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. So prior to Jesus, the greatest display of God making bread was the situation in, recorded in Exodus where God made manna. And gave it to his people on a daily basis. Now, what happened in, uh, in the book of Exodus uh, is the people had just escaped from Pharaoh and Egypt. 
And we are told in a, uh, basically a census statement in numbers that there's about 2 million people, 600,000 men are, are counted as they, they come out. Well, they have also wives and children, so you have to more than double the 600,000. Some think it's 2 million. Now, 2 million in the desert where they don't have farms or agriculture or means or jobs and no way to manufacture, they're just there. Suddenly, in the desert, no place to even call their home. They don't have a shot. They're going to die unless there's some kind of miraculous provision. Now, I'm going to take you back to Exodus, but before you do, I want to pick this up in, uh, again, John chapter 6, verse 12. Something I, I just want you to see before we turn pages and move out of John for a moment. John 6, verse 12, this is the, um, the concluding uh, of the conclusion, I guess, of the, the miraculous feeding. When the disciples had, or when the people had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Verse 13, and so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. That 12 is a significant number. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. Something new is now on the scene. The old covenant will soon become obsolete. The new covenant will begin. The provision of Jesus is not only, but as you look at five and 12 left over, not only is it what we need, it's more than what we need. The ability of Jesus Christ to satisfy the hunger of people is a physical picture of the ability of Jesus to satisfy the spiritual hunger of people. Moving from lesser to greater. An earthly example speaks of an eternal reality. Okay, now hopefully you can find Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. It's really not that far, hard to find. Go to Exodus chapter 16. Hold it. We're coming back to John 6, but um, maybe it doesn't matter if you have a device, you're going to opt out and opt back in. Exodus 16 Verse 11, this is that situation I described. They've, they're just fresh out of Egypt. They got nothing to eat. They're going to die. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Too bad he didn't come in a nice request. I've heard the grumbling. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And then jumping over to verse 35, the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna and the, until they reached the border of Canaan, which is the border of the promised land. So in the desert where there was a certainty of death and there was no hope, God provided life-sustaining bread. Easy to see the connection between bread and life when you're desperate. But perhaps on a regular basis when uh, your stomachs are filled or your needs are met or however you want to look at it. Not, not as easy to see your need for God. Well, Israel at this particular time had no means of producing 
food by themselves, but with God they had everything they need. Everything they needed. Put a past tense on that. Hmm. In the desert, God's people needed God's bread to live earthly lives. In all of life, all the way up today, all people need God's bread to live eternally, from lesser to greater. Turn back a few pages to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. This is when Moses encountered God for the first time. Moses was shepherding sheep in the desert, saw a bush on fire. The bush was not being consumed by the fire. It was just blazing. He was curious. He walked over, and that began a conversation with God. God called out from within the burning bush. Here's a piece of that conversation. Well, in the conversation, Moses is told he's got to go to Egypt and confront Pharaoh and tell him he is to release. Not ask him, but tell him to release the Israelites. So verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, well, what is his name? Then what shall I, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So uh, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So God's name is I am, and that became written down without, uh, without vowels, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and uh, Old English translations call it Jehovah. So that's where in the King James Bible, if you have Jehovah, that's where it comes from. Exodus 3, God told Moses, I am who I am. In other words, God is the self-defining one. No one tells God who he is. No one tells God what to do. God alone has both the authority and the ability to declare and to describe who he is and what he can do. Only God chooses to do what he wants to do. And God chooses only to do what he wants to do. Nobody imposes upon him, threatens him, scares him, intimidates him. Nobody makes God do anything. He is who he is. Moses needs to know all of that if, first of all, he's going to convince Israel to follow his lead, and secondly, if he's going to go to Pharaoh, knowing that he might be killed in an instant, he's got to know that God is the boss of Pharaoh, and it's not the other way around. I am who I am. Now, before we go back to John, what we can bring to our understanding based on these two passages of, of uh, Exodus that we read, before we go back to John chapter 6, based on Exodus, please remember this. I am speaks of God's presence. Bread or manna, bread speaks of God's provision. So you have God's presence and God's provision being exactly what the people of God needed in the book of Exodus as they're trying to um, survive in the desert and then make it to the promised land, but also for God's people as they try to become followers 
of God. Okay, John chapter 6. I am the blessing of God's presence, and uh, bread is the blessing of God's provision. God is sovereign. God is all we need. John chapter 6, let's start with verse 32, uh, picking up where we left off. Got it? John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. There are some who suggest, and I'm sure you could find a thousand Google articles on this, that Jesus never claimed to be God. His followers supposedly put that on him later. In what I just read to you, there are three very clear and distinct claims to deity made by Jesus Christ himself. So verse 33 the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Um, who else comes down from heaven except God incarnate? And we'll look at that in a little bit. Deity. Verse, let's say, 35. I am the bread of life. Now, the way Jesus says that is intentional. He is drawing from Exodus chapter 3, where God said, I am. He's intentionally saying that way. He doesn't have to say it that way. He intentionally says, I am. You can just pause right there. The bread of life. Deity. Oh, and also in verse 35, let's see. Oh, bread of life. So I am the bread of life, and then in verse 32, the bread from heaven. Bread of life, bread from heaven are used interchangeably. So even if you, you got stuck on or didn't know about somehow, I am the bread of life, if you, if I am, if you didn't know about that, know this, when, when, when Jesus uses interchangeably bread from heaven and bread of life, he's saying the same thing. The bread of life is that which God has sent. Didn't come here accidentally. Wasn't just born. Didn't show up one day and decide, hey, I'm going to be this. Was sent by God. Came from God. Sent by God to be God's provision for God's people. Now watch how Jesus moves from lesser to greater. He will move from earthly to eternal. I promise you we're getting very close to being done. But this is the brilliance of Jesus Christ. John chapter 6 Verse 47, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. That's the third time he said this in this uh, dialogue. I am the bread of life, verse 49. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is a bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life 
of the world. That's an invitation to believe Jesus. It's also a warning against unbelief. Don't reject Jesus. He is God's only provision. You don't want to miss out on this. You don't want to reject Jesus. Jesus, as the bread of life, is the only one who can satisfy the hunger of every human heart. Jesus, as the bread of God, is the only one who can satisfy the need of every human soul. Now, the way Jesus puts it, when he says it repeatedly this way, he removes the possibility of any self-accomplishment. God has done it all. I am, believe in the one he has sent, and I will lay down my life. There's nothing in there for us to do except to believe in the work that Jesus has done. The bread of life has come down from heaven to be given up to other, for others so that they may live. God has done it all. Eating bread is an analogy used by Jesus to illustrate a spiritual truth. Just as, uh, as all people have a need for earthly food, which doesn't help them unless they consume it. All people have a need for eternal food, which they can't access unless they receive Jesus. Sometimes people get stuck on verse 51. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That just sounds awful. This bread is my flesh. He's talking about himself. What, my, oh, my, what, what does that mean? To put it simply, Jesus did not come to bring bread. Jesus came to be bread. Huge difference. Now, let's appreciate that when we, uh, let's go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Actually, what, what, what John is writing as, as he's describing Jesus and, and quoting Jesus, he's not saying anything that he hasn't said already. It's just that Jesus didn't say it that way. And so it might sound to us like something new, but it's already been said. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jump down to verse 14. And Jesus, uh, John says this about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So in the beginning, Jesus is with God, equal in deity, sent down from heaven to us. The word became flesh. This aspect of Jesus saying you, you need to receive my flesh, you need to consume my flesh, already been said before in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14 and now watch what happens in verse 29. This is the testimony of John the Baptist. Chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What Jesus has demonstrated and stated in John chapter 6 has already been revealed in John chapter 1. There is no hiding. Nobody wants to... Uh, communicate Jesus without being clear. This is abundantly clear. Jesus is God in the flesh. I am the bread of life, says it quite clearly. God in the flesh has come to save his people and to feed his people and to take them home. The work of God is quite simply to believe in the one that God has sent. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in 
Christ alone. That's John chapter 6. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ. And there is much that avails to us that we just simply take for granted or we leave on the table, and we are sorry for that. Help us, dear God, when we open Scripture to spend a moment in prayer that we might be asking you to incline our hearts toward you and to dig into Scripture understanding what it is that you have done for us and, and what it is that you call us to do in this life much more than give me a nugget of bread today for myself to feed my desire. Oh, we need that, Lord, but we want to keep our focus on you and who you are and how you provide. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning who, um, to continue with the euphemism, are, are hungry. So hungry that it, it hurts. Life is hard. Life at times is empty. Relationships disappoint. The job doesn't work out. The career pursuit is not what we thought. There are so many things in life that appear to be a dead end or appear to be a meaningless desert that we wander in. Oh God, would you bring the food, the spiritual nourishment that we need on a daily basis. Please meet the needs of those this morning who are hungry and they think they are without hope. Jesus, as the bread of life, we understand from the written word of scripture that you are the hope of the world. I pray that you'd be the hope that's in this room. Hope Community Church, help us to take that message to a watching world that, quite frankly, is hungry without you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.